Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. We're coming right now to our time just in the Word of God. We're going to go to Luke chapter number 15, and we're just going to get a message of encouragement that I think will be a help to every person that's here. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter number 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15, as you find your place there, I just want to ask you if you've ever, uh, <coughs> excuse me, if you've ever noticed how people try to uh, make themselves seem important. You've been around somebody, they try to make themselves seem important. It, 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 it starts at a young age because it starts with those kids, you know, my dad's bigger than your dad. Well, what are they doing? They're just trying, my, I'm more important than you because my dad's bigger than your dad. Many of you have seen my dad, so that actually did work out for me uh, growing up. But my dad's bigger than your dad was the argument. Or maybe, uh, of course, it travels to when we're older because when we're older, we have the one-up stories. You ever been around those people? You know, it's somebody that they're like, you're telling a story and they're like, oh yeah? Well, one time I, and they begin to tell you, I had a roommate like that. I'd be like, man, today was a great day at work. I got a, you know, I got a good tip as, as a bellman in college. I got a good tip. And he'd be like, oh yeah? Well, today I got paid overtime. And I'm like, dude, this isn't a comparison. You know what? Sometimes we try to prove how important we are to other people. I remember when I was uh, 16 years old, I went to visit a college, went to visit a Bible college, and it just so happened my dad, he was on the board of directors for the Bible college. And as a 16-year-old, of course, I was a junior in high school walking around a college campus. Uh, I wasn't necessarily someone to be noticed, but I wanted people to notice me. And so I'd walk around, and I'd meet somebody and say, hey, what's your name? And they'd tell me their name, and I'd go, well, my name's Dennis Fountain. And they'd look at me like, so? And I'd say, well, do you know who my dad is? He'd be like, well, no, who's your dad? I'd say, my dad is Dennis Fountain also, and he's on the board of directors. I'm important because my dad's on the board of directors. And I remember there's a few kids that actually worked with. They're like, oh, cool. Can your dad help my grades, you know, or something like that? <laughs> but I came to one kid in particular, and I was trying to prove my importance, and I walked up to him, and he's kind of he's in my way, you know, and I by now, I'm a 16-year-old junior big man on campus already thinking I'm cool, and uh, he's in my way, and I'm like, hey, you need to get out of my way. He just looked at me. Well, why? He's like, because you're in my way. Do you know who my dad is? And he was like, no, who's your dad? I was like, my dad's Dennis Fountain. He's on the board of directors. He can get you kicked out of school. That's what I said to him. He'll get you kicked out of school. And he looked right at me. He went, do you know who my dad is? I was like, no. He goes, my dad's the president of a college. He could kick your dad off the board of directors. <laughs> I was like, point made, could we team up, you know? <laughs> Listen, we've all been there, you know, in life with somebody that we're trying to prove our importance because everybody wants to feel important. Today, I wanna ask you a question. The question I wanna ask you, the title of the message today is how important are you? But not how important are you to other people? I want to ask you this morning, how important do you think you are to God? How important are you to God? We're going to discover an answer in Luke chapter number 15, because in Luke 15, Jesus tells a parable. It's actually three stories in one parable, three stories that all make up one truth that Jesus is trying to get across. And the one truth that Jesus is trying to get across is how important every single person is 
to him. We're going to go through the whole chapter, but we're not going to read it all right now. We're just going to start with the first two verses. So stand with me, if you would, just to give you a chance to stretch before I preach for an hour and a half. I'm kidding. It won't be an hour and a half. Luke 15, verse 1 and 2. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, Luke 15, 1 and 2. And if you're using one of the church Bibles, it's page 1531. You can turn there if you'd like, or you can just look to the screen. Luke 15, verse 1. The Word of God says this. Then drew near unto him. The him is Jesus, all right? Then drew near unto Jesus all the publicans and sinners for to hear him, for the purpose of hearing him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying... This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. If you were to go around and ask the question, how important are you in this room today? We'd get a number of answers. But as I stated a moment ago, I don't want to ask us how important we think we are. I want Jesus to tell us how important we are to him. And it's in this passage with this setting Jesus, sitting with publicans and sinners, surrounded by Pharisees, the religious. We'll learn about all these people in just a moment. It's in this setting that Jesus lays before us how important every single one of us are to him. Let's pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you would, take a moment. And just in the quietness of your own heart, this is between you and God. Would you just pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you pray something simple? Dear God, please speak to me. And then would you make a commitment? God, as you speak to me today, I'm listening to you. Dear Lord, we come before you again. We thank you for the word of God and we thank you for its truths. Thank you for the passage before us today. I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments, God, to understand how important we are to you. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. If you were to go and open up Luke chapter number 15, we find a a scene unfolding before us. And excuse me, the scene that we find unfolding is Jesus coming into a town. And as he comes into the town, the Bible tells us that he draws himself to uh, two certain groups of people. These people would be the publicans and the sinners. Now, let me tell you who these people were. The publicans, these were folks that they were Jews who had become tax collectors for the Roman government. Many of the Jews saw them as like traitors because now they're collecting taxes from the people for a government that none of the people like. And so they kind of saw the publicans as the outcast. Probably one of the most famous publicans was a man we heard about two weeks ago named Zacchaeus. And uh, you know, if you grew up in church, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior, as Jesus passed that way, he called him down. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. And there's a great story of God, me, of Jesus, meeting and reaching out to one of these tax collectors. So that's the first group of people that are around Jesus. The second group, they're just summarized by the word sinners. All right, publicans, tax collectors, nobody likes publicans back then. Not going anywhere on that one, but anyway. 
the publicans, and then the sinners. Now, the sinners, these would be those in the society that uh, people in their Jewish society would look down upon and say, well, that's the worst of the worst. These would be the Mary Magdalene's. These would be the Samaritan woman of John chapter 4. These would be those that people would look at and say, well, they're, you know, they're just not, they're not really fit to meet with God. They're not fit to meet with the religious leader. And that's what was taking place. What was taking place is Jesus was sitting to meet with publicans and sinners. Well, if you go to the word of God, you'll find that Jesus often surrounded himself with publicans and sinners. He often sat for a meal with those that would be considered society's outcasts. Jesus loved those people and he was often surrounded by them and many times he would go out of his way to speak to them and spend time with them and this was one such day. Well, as also usually happened, we find there was another group of people. They're called the Pharisees and the scribes. These would be the Pharisees. They would be the religious elite. These were those that, you know, they thought, well, I dress right. I act right. I talk right. The, the Pharisees, they were the uh, self-appointed upholders of the law. That's what they were. They were the self-appointed mothers of the community. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, how many of you ever have a sister? Sometimes your sisters are self-appointed mothers. I grew up with two sisters, older than me, one eight years older and one 11 years older. I talk about them a lot. I, I talk good about them most of the time. But I tell people I didn't grow up with one mom and two sisters. I grew up with three mothers. Because there'd be times that my sisters would put it upon themselves to tell me everything I was doing wrong. They, they put it upon themselves to tell me mom and dad's rules and to tell me what should and shouldn't happen. Listen, the Pharisees were just like older sisters. They were self-appointed righteous people going around and pointing out everybody else's flaws. Well, on this day, they come and they say to each other, verse number two tells us, they begin to murmur with each other. Oh, I can't believe it. You, look at this. Jesus is sitting and eating with publicans and Pharisees. He receiveth sinners unto himself. And they began to complain that Jesus, this religious teacher, would embrace or engage in conversation with publicans and sinners. Okay, that's the setting for the whole passage. We need to know that going in because what Jesus does is he takes the next few minutes and he begins to teach the publicans and sinners as well as the Pharisees, he begins to teach them something that the Pharisees needed to learn. You see, with the Pharisees, these people who knew religion, they knew the law, the religious laws, they knew that, but they had missed the message of the law. They had missed the truth behind the law. Well, what was the truth behind the law? Listen, everything in the Old Testament and everything in the New Testament, it all points to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees had missed that. They had missed it. They had missed the message. They were uh, upholding the law, thinking things, thinking they were special and thinking that they were the self-appointed uh, interpreters of the law. But here they are complaining that Jesus would receive sinners and Jesus takes time to use a parable. A parable would be a story with um, different characters. It would kind of be like an illustration that Jesus would use to teach a truth. In the particular story that we see Christ telling today, it's actually three stories 
in one. Notice the stories with me, if you will. Luke chapter 15, verse 4 through 7. Jesus continues speaking this parable unto them, and he spake a parable unto them, verse 3, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which was lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he come, or and when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. The first story is the story of a lost sheep and the shepherd. In these verses, we read of a shepherd that risks his life to go rescue one sheep. When he finds the one sheep, he goes back and he rejoices. The second story is similar. The second story is of a woman and a lost silver coin. Notice it with me, verse number eight and nine. Luke 15, eight through 10. Either what woman, having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. In this story, we discover a woman losing a silver coin. The, the, word, uh, the Greek word for the silver coin is actually the word drachma or drachme. It, it means something of precious value. So this wasn't just a, you know, like a quarter to us or something like that. This was something that was very precious to her. And the, the word of God tells us that she sweeps her house and she searches diligently for one lost coin. When she finds it, she, like the shepherd, calls people and rejoices over the one lost coin. That's the second story. The third story is the story of a lost son and his father. I want you to follow along as I read the story in Luke 15, verse number 11. And he said, a certain man, so again, Jesus is still speaking, still giving illustrations. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he, the father, divided unto them his, his sons his living. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he, the younger son, would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. He was broke. He was empty. He was hopeless. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So he comes up with this speech. And he arose and came to his father. And, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, 
Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. In those verses we read of a son that squanders his inheritance. And yet when he comes to his father, he's received with open arms. Now, as we read these stories this morning, we again need to remember the scene where the story is being told. It's Jesus sitting at a meal with publicans and sinners. Because of that, the Pharisees are complaining about what's taking place. With that as the setting, knowing that, it helps us see, and what we're going to understand today is that all three of these stories are told for the same purpose. All three of these stories are told to teach the Pharisees, as well as everyone listening, the stories are told to teach them what one person means to God. Because we, as mankind, we are represented in these stories. In the first story, we're the sheep. In the second story, we're the silver. In the third story, we are the sun. It's in this parable with these three stories that we find out how important we are to God. So I want you to notice a few thoughts with me today. First of all, I believe today that we are important enough to God that he, God, I'm calling it, he abandons logic. You mean enough to God that God would abandon that which seems logical. If you went back to the first story of uh, the shepherd and the sheep, we find that the shepherd, or Jesus says, which of you, having one sheep that, that strays away, would not leave the 90 and 9 and go try to recover the one sheep? Now, we would maybe read this, and we would look and discover that this shepherd, he leaves 99 sheep, he leaves comfort, he ventures off of his land, and he goes to discover or find one sheep. For this shepherd, failure was not an option. But I'd like to present to you the case that the logical answer for this shepherd would be, wait for the sheep to come back. If it doesn't, you still have 99 sheep. That would be the logic. Why, why leave the 99 and, and sacrifice possibly a wolf getting in or sacrifice something else? Why leave the 99 that are still with you and seek the one? But the shepherd doesn't do that which is logical. The shepherd abandons logic, and he endeavors to rescue the one. And then when he finds the one, we don't find the shepherd logically putting a rope about, about its neck and walking it back to the, to the uh, uh, property, walking it back to the land, the pasture. We find him taking that sheep and picking that sheep up, sheep up and putting that sheep upon his shoulders carrying that sheep all the way home. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been places where I've had to walk great distances with my children. And I don't know if your kids are like mine. I imagine they are. But after they're walking for about, I don't know, 10 feet, they're like, Dad, carry me. Now, I was nice when they were like one and two because they were light, except for Micah. Micah's never been light. I remember Lena, she's like just carrying a little, you know, little twig. I'm sure I'll carry you, pick Lena up. 
But you know what? After a little bit of walking, maybe at Disneyland or something like that, I'd take them and I'd put them down. I love you, but just stay near dad. You are too heavy and I'm not walking miles carrying you right now. The logical thing oftentimes is, hey, you have two feet, right? My parents said that to me all the time. They say, God created you with those legs. Use them. I say, well, they hurt. I don't care. God created them. You use them. Dad, hey, suck it up. Let's go. You know, suck it up, buttercup. Dad would say all that. Here's what happens. The logical thing says you have two feet. You can walk. The logical thing for the shepherd says you have four, you have four legs. I'm going to tie a, a rope around your neck and drag you back. But the shepherd abandons logic and puts the sheep on his shoulders and carries him all the way back. And then when he gets back, the shepherd throws a party over the one sheep. I have a dog at home. My dog has ran away a couple of times. We got a call from uh, uh, Christy. She was like two miles from our house. And she's like, hey, is your dog missing? As a matter of fact, yes. Oh, he's over here. How in the world, you know? We finally got him back. Do you know what I didn't do? I didn't throw a party. I was like, where's the chain? Chain him up. Roy, you're getting chained up, you know? But yet this guy, the shepherd, he throws a party for the one sheep. But we have to remember again the setting. Jesus is creating an illustration. And in this illustration, he's helping the Pharisees understand mankind is the sheep. And I am the shepherd. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I have gone through and I will go through great expense. I will risk my life. And Jesus even went as far as to give his life. He went as far as to give his life for the sheep. And Jesus says this at the summary of that story. I say unto you, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 90 and nine just persons which need no repentance. Jesus, again, speaking to these Pharisees, the publicans and sinners, the publicans or the Pharisees, they thought they never needed a savior, but Jesus is saying, hey, these ones who realize they need me, there is joy in heaven when one of them turns to me. How important are you to God? Well, you're important enough to God that God, Jesus Christ says, I have come down, risked it all, to die for you. I have abandoned logic for you. Jesus said it this way in John 10, 15, as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Man, Jesus Christ has given his life for you and I. It seems illogical that the creator of the universe would give his life for the creation, and yet that's exactly what we find when Jesus Christ, God's son, when Jesus, God in the flesh, came to this earth and died upon a cross. Why would he die on the cross? He died on the cross for every single human being. That's how important you and I are to God, is that God would abandon logic. Jesus says, hey, the shepherd abandoned logic, and it wouldn't be logic. It's not logical. It would be more logical to say you need to earn your way to God. But not that the God of heaven would say, you can't earn your way to me, I will die for you. We mean so much to God that he abandons logic. We mean so much to God, the second story, that he aggressively looks. 
God aggressively looks for every single person. In the story of the woman, we read that she would diligently sweep and she searched diligently until she found that silver coin, that thing that was precious. Now, I want you to notice a few thoughts about how aggressively she wanted to find the coin. We read, first of all, that she spared no expense. The woman spared no expense. When you look at the verse, go with me to verse number eight. Either what woman, having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. Notice the phrase that she lights a candle. She lights a candle. If you look at that and, and her lighting this candle. Now listen, many of us, I mean, how many of you have candles laying around your house? My mom had like 7 billion candles laying around our house, especially around Y2K. Those of you that were alive for Y2K, my mom genuinely thought the world was going to end. And I remember we had candles and canned food and water, and we filled up our bathtub with water just in case the water system went out. It was, it was nuts. If she was still sitting over here, I'd still say it to my mom right now. A candle. When we read this, that she lights a candle, we're not thinking about just a little wax candle that you might have or get from the Dollar Tree. This is her lighting an oil lamp. Now, let me ask you, in that day, do you think oil was cheap? No, oil actually was very expensive. And yet we find this woman going through a great expense, lighting oil and a candle, burning oil at night until she finds the one coin. That coin meant a lot to her. It was worth something. She gave something for that one coin. She gave the expense of the oil. She gave the expense of that candle. She spared no expense. But she also, the Bible helps us see that she spared no energy. It says that she began to sweep the house. The phrasing, sweep the house, this isn't like uh, men. This isn't like how we would clean the kitchen. Let's be honest. You know, most guys are like, yeah, I swept the kitchen. We're good. This isn't, this isn't that type of sweep. No, you know what? She's taking a, a broom, she's sweeping, but then she's cleaning. She's perhaps on her hands and knees going through every nook and cranny of that house trying to find, looking, of course, at that plank wood floor and how coins would fall down, maybe taking that, that lamp and kind of going over every little area wondering where's this coin, letting that oil burn, sparing no expense, sparing no energy. She's going through a great extent to find one silver coin. I think that coin meant something to her, don't you? Well, here's the point that Jesus is making. You and I, we are the coin. And God, he went through a great expense. How, what was the expense? The expense was his life. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and at the end of his life, he was crucified on a cross. He was whipped and he was beaten. He had the crown of thorns pierced upon his side. He went through everything that the crucifixion entails and he did all of that for you and for me. It cost him his life. But then Jesus, he also spares no energy. The phrase that she sought diligently, Jesus is trying to get across that he seeks diligently for you and for me. Did you know today, listen, no matter who you are, no matter what your background is, no matter where you've been, God is pursuing you because God wants you to have a relationship with him. God's pursuing you. God might pursue you because of a friend. Isn't it interesting how people think it's coincidence? Oh, it's just coincidence that I'd run into you again. And yet maybe that friend is somebody who said, you know, can I talk to you about something? I want to talk to you about begin to talk to you about the Lord. 
God pursues us. He pursues us through little things that remind us that he is there. Maybe it's a card on the door. Maybe it's a text message from somebody you haven't seen in a while. Maybe it's a, a coworker that just simply says, you know, can I talk to you about the Lord? God pursues us different ways. God tries to point our attention to him. Maybe we turn on the news and we're reminded about prayer in the country or whatever the case might be. God does a lot to pursue mankind. Well, why? Because you and I, like a lost coin, listen, we mean something to God. You mean something to God. How important are you and I to God? Well, we're important enough that Jesus pursues us. He pursues us so much. The Bible says this in Luke 19, 10, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Man, you and I, we're so important to the Lord that he abandons logic. He aggressively looks, but then lastly today, he awaits with love. He awaits with love. Now, we don't have time to go through the entire story of the son and the father, but let me just give you a few thoughts about the story of the son and the father this morning. If you were to go and you find the story opens up that a son goes to the dad and says, Dad, give me my inheritance. Now, in that culture, that was completely unheard of. In that culture, that was as if the boy was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what would be mine if you died. This was very dishonorable. This would put kind of a little bit of a, a black cloud over the family, so to speak. And this very wealthy man in this community, he would be one that people would look at and say, I can't believe your son would ask you that. And yet the father... He obliges. He gives both sons their inheritance. And the Bible tells us that the younger of the suit of the two sons, he goes and he squanders away or he wastes away all of his inheritance with riotous living. He goes and he lives it up for a number of years. And we don't know exactly what he did, but we know that it's just called riotous or not smart living. It's just a, a living that would be done as, as if you would be inside of a riot, just kind of throwing things here and there. He was throwing money here and there, just kind of going through life. But the word of God tells us this, that there came a point, there was a famine in the land. He ran out of money. The famine came, and that famine pushed him to the place where he was feeding the pigs. Now, in that culture, for a Jewish man to be feeding the pigs, that was unheard of. That was seen as a faux pas, if you will. That was seen as this ought not to be. And the Bible tells us that he came to the place where he was feeding the pigs and thinking, I wish I could just eat the pig's food. Now, we have some folks here that live out in the country and are around animals. I've never walked by a feeding trough and thought, that looks good. I've never been that hungry. Now, maybe, maybe I've been that hungry, but never pushed that far. Listen, I've never been that hungry to want the, the food of a pig, to want the food of, a, of an animal, the food out of a trough. I've never wanted that. This man, listen, this young boy, this young man, he had to be in a desperate place. The Bible says that he came to himself. Man, my dad has servants that eat better than this. My dad is good to his servants. Man, I remember how good my dad is. I'm gonna go to my dad. So he comes up with the speech. His speech is, dad, I've sinned before you and I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Make me as one of your hired servants. Give me a job in the field, dad. I'll do that. Just let me do something. Let me earn your love, dad. Let me earn it. That was his mind. How can I earn dad's grace again? How can I earn dad's favor again? How can I earn dad's, dad's eyes upon me again? How can I do that? 
The Bible says in verse 19 and 20, he begins making his way back to his dad. I love the story because it tells us as he begins to make his way back to his dad, the Bible tells us that he was still a great way off. I like that phrase. You know why? Here's why I like that phrase. In all of his working, in all of his scheming, in all of his planning, he was still a great way off. He still couldn't zap himself to be next to the father. In the story of the shepherd, the sheep does nothing for the shepherd to come after. In the story of the coin and the woman, the, the coin does nothing for the woman to come after. And in the story of the lost son and the father, the son really does nothing. Because if you look at verse number 20, do you see what happens? The son is coming, he's a great way off, and you know what the father does? He girds up his robe, and he takes off running. I'm not gonna do it all the way, because I don't wanna be that tired, and then I'd be like, <laughs> and then we'd last like five more minutes. He takes off running. He goes, and you know what he does? He embraces the son. Here comes the son. Here's the son there. I love what takes place. Look at it. Here's what happens. Verse number 20. Go look at it. Look in the Bible real quick. He begins to talk to his dad. Hey, dad. Dad, I, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And then the Bible says the word, but. You know what that word means for us? His dad stopped him. He didn't complete his speech, right? His speech, if you go back, he wanted to say, dad, I've sinned against you. I'm unworthy to be called your son. Hire me as a servant and give me a job. His dad cuts him off. His dad stops him. Stop. Man, send for the, get a robe, get a ring. Send for the fatted calf. Go, go kill the calf. Make a big feast. Let's be married. Listen, let's party. Let's have a great celebration. Why? Because my son who was dead, he's alive. My son who was lost, he has been found. Let's rejoice in the fact that my son has come back to me. But I love the fact that the father ran. In that culture, it would not be appropriate for a rich man in the community to run wouldn't be appropriate for any man, let alone a rich man. It would not be appropriate for him to embrace the son. It actually would have been customary that if the son came back, that the father would literally give him the cold shoulder to say, I do not accept you. You are not mine. The boy could come and could grovel at the feet of the father, but the, the father in society, he should have just said, no, you are no longer mine. You are dead to me, but he didn't do that. No, he still, we see, abandons logic. He runs after the son. Well, why? Because God, as the heavenly father, he awaits for you with love. God doesn't make you choose him. God doesn't make me choose him. God says, I'm here with open arms waiting for you to come to me. You know what some people view God as? We view God as that father with the belt. Come on home, boy. See what's waiting for you. We view, we view God as, as the one who maybe is saying, I can't believe you'd make that decision. Ah, you're no son of mine. But what we need to realize is we really have a God, a heavenly father that's saying, why don't you come? Come on to me. I'm awaiting for you in love. When you look at these three stories in one parable, all three of them are teaching the truth. All three of them are teaching the simple truth that God, he loves every single person. And God, he says, I'm just waiting for you to come to me. 
in this story, we have publicans, sinners, and Pharisees. Did you know that they were all sinners? Every single one of them. Here's what the word of God says. The Bible actually says in the book of Romans that there is none righteous, no, not one. Man, every single person here is a sinner. But I like what I read this last week. One man said it this way. He said, there are two types of, or what I heard this last week, one, uh, there are two types of sinners in the world. Those who know they're lost and those who think they're righteous. Man, people who realize I'm a sinner and I need God and those who think like the Pharisees, I can earn it. I can get back to God. We can see that Jesus teaches that God as a loving father is actually waiting with open and loving arms to embrace anyone, anyone who comes to him. If you look at this story, I can imagine the son there. Perhaps while his dad is hugging him and the son is overwhelmed with what he had done, I see the dad overwhelmed with what the son had done as well. The dad's overwhelmed with the fact that the son made a right choice. He made an extravagant approach to the son. He made an extravagant response in throwing a celebration for the son. Man, he was that dad that was just excited for his boy. A few years ago, Dennis was playing basketball. It was maybe his first year or second year, third and fourth grade, something like that. And he was playing basketball, and I would help out coaching a little bit. But I remember the very first time Dennis made a basket. Oh, listen, we were there, and I, I think he's in third grade or fourth. I don't remember, but we're there, and I'm in the, I'm in the stands. And, you know, at that age, the ball just kind of goes wherever it will. It's like watching that old movie Flubber. Watch that movie Flubber, that ball just goes everywhere, and every now and then it goes in. That's what it's like watching third and fourth graders play basketball. And that ball is just going around, and it finally came to the point that Dennis got the ball. He was right underneath the basket. And I remember thinking, please, God, I know you don't care about basketball, but please help him to make a shot. And I remember Dennis got that ball, and he's standing right there. And, it, and it's like time froze, you know? And we're there, and I'm like, he's holding that ball. It's been, man, it's been 20 minutes already. What's he doing? And time freezes for me, and I see Dennis, and he's there under the hoop. He looks up, and I remember kind of out of the corner of his eye, kind of looked over at my like, don't look at me. Shoot the ball. Shoot the ball. And I remember him right there, and he, ah, like that. And that ball went up, hit the backboard, and went doom, 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 doom. Man, I think it bounced around there like 40 times. I've watched, I've watched a bunch of Harlem Globetrotters stuff and I hadn't seen the ball do that. It just kept doing, 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 and finally it goes, whoosh. Man, you'd have thought that we just won the NBA championship. Because here I am, you know, we're like five minutes into the game. And I'm like, yes, yeah, yeah, what? And I won't scream as loud as I was because of the microphone, but I was going berserk, you know, and people, we were probably, we were losing by like 50 I mean, the other team, it's like, you know, 38 to 2 or something like that. But I'm like, we got on the board. We have two. Did you see that? My son made a basket. Yeah. And I'm going nuts. People are like, dude, chill. It's fourth grade basketball. And I'm like, I don't care. My son made it. Yeah, man. You know what? When your kids make a right choice, when your kids accomplish something, you're proud of them. That's what this dad does. He throws a celebration. Why? Because his son had made a right choice, because his son had come home. And here's the comparison that Jesus makes. Don't miss it this morning. 
Here's the comparison that Jesus makes in verse 7, in verse number 10, and then also in the rejoicing of the Father. It's this comparison. That when one person recognizes that they need Jesus Christ in their life, and when one person comes to the place that they understand that Jesus loves them and died on the cross for them and gave his life and then rose again from the dead to prove that he was God, this story goes to show that when one person realizes that and puts their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that all of heaven rejoices. Everyone in heaven's rejoicing, not over a made basket, not over a touchdown, not over a home run, not over just a good decision. They're rejoicing because somebody is no longer going to hell. They're instead going to heaven. They're rejoicing because somebody is no longer under their own sin, but they find forgiveness. They're rejoicing because that one person is no longer away from God. No, they are brought back into a relationship with God. You wonder how important you are to God, how important I am to God? We're important enough that Jesus Christ would come to the earth, live a perfect life, and then die upon the cross. The Bible says that he didn't, no man took his life, but he gave his life. Why? Because every single person is lost and in need of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us. Every one of us, we are born with a God-sized hole in our life. We are born away and apart from God. The Bible tells us that we're born in sin. We're born sinners. You see, God created Adam and Eve. He created man so that they might walk with God. He created Adam and Eve so that they might have a relationship with God. Listen, you and I, we are created so that we might have a relationship with God. But something happened with Adam and Eve. They sinned before God. They transgressed. God had told them no, and they had done it anyways. They sinned against God. And the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, Sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Man, every single one of us, we are sinners before a holy and a righteous God. And because of that sin, the Word of God tells us that we deserve hell. For the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve hell. But God loves you enough that he says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't have to go to hell. You don't have to pay for your own sin. You don't have to go through this life apart from God. You don't have to go through this life struggling in your identity and wondering who you are because of God. You can go through life knowing who Jesus is, knowing that he loves you, knowing that he died on the cross for you, knowing that he did all of that because of your sin and my sin. Every single one of us are a sinner who is lost in need of the Savior. And let me just tell you this morning, the best decision that you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to save you. The best decision that you could ever make is to say, I'm not gonna be like the Pharisees thinking I can earn it. You see, a lot of people, they're like the Pharisees. There's really a little Pharisee in all of us. Something that says, well, I'm better than them. And we'll hear maybe a message about Jesus, and we'll think, well, I'll be good enough, and then I'll get to heaven. Can I tell you, there's none righteous. There's, there's not one. We, we can never be good enough. Well, I'll go to church, and that'll get me to heaven. I'm glad you're here today. I think church is a healthy thing, but going to church will never get you to heaven. Well, I'll go confess to this, this, uh, this religious leader or that religious leader. No confession to a religious leader is going to get you to heaven. 
Well, I'll just do enough good things. Can't get you to heaven. Oh, but I heard you could get baptized. Baptism, getting baptized, dunked in the water, that doesn't get you to heaven. The only thing that gets you and I to heaven is when we make the personal decision to ask Jesus Christ to be in our life. When we ask God to forgive us of our sin, admitting that we're sinners before him, understanding that he died upon the cross and rose again to prove that he was God. When we confess to the Lord that we believe that, the Bible says, for with the mouth confession is made and with the heart we believe. It says this in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The only way anyone ever gets to heaven is by asking Jesus Christ to be their savior. The only way you can fill that void in your life that is the God-sized void, the only way you can have a relationship with God is by asking God to come into your life and be your savior. I just want us to know this morning that Jesus came to bring us back into a relationship with God and to offer us forgiveness. He is the father with open arms saying, anyone can come. Matthew 11, Jesus said this, Come unto me, all ye who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then you know what happens when you make that decision? All of heaven rejoices. If you're here this morning and maybe you would realize that you need to be found, you would say, I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I don't know that I have a relationship with God. I have one simple question for you. Will you today receive Jesus Christ into your life? Will you make the decision to quit trusting in your good works, quit trusting in your religion, quit thinking that you, like the son, could do enough to earn the father's love, and instead today come to the place where you say, God, I realize I'm a sinner, and I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin and be my savior. Maybe you today would say, you know, I want to make heaven rejoice. The decision that you should make is to ask Jesus to come into your life. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.